welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And before we get into today's episode, we have some Patreons to shout out. You ready? Let's go. All right. We've got Addie Eisenbarger, Barger, Barger. Dope. Heather Shanks. Let's go. Heather Nichols. Veronica Gibson. Yeah. Christy. Heck yeah. Michelle Dudley. Yep. Amanda Ganskow. Maddie Stevens. Yes. Brianna McNally, which I'm pretty sure was our waitress at Prime Ocean or Ocean, Ocean Prime. Prime. How do you Best say it? Best waitress ever. Is it Prime it's Ocean, Ocean or Prime. Ocean Prime? Ocean, Ocean Prime in Kansas City. Amazing. Because there's Prime Social. And do you think so it's, it's McNally confusing. or McAnally? McNally. Nobody listening probably cares. Let's keep going. Tell me if we're right. Um, <sighs> anyway, April Thomas. April. Rachel Meyer. Cool. Megan Ross. Yes. And April L. Dope. Okay, if you live in Kansas City, you have got to go to Prime Ocean, Ocean Prime. And you got to see Brie as yeah, your way. Yeah, you definitely have to ask yeah. for Brie. She's awesome. Or her daughter, who I'm pretty sure is Kennedy, right? Kennedy. Because we have the same, the same daughter yep. name. <laughs> okay, anyway, wow. All right, so yeah, we are actually recording this on video. And so if you want to see the video, you're going to have to go to our Patreon to see it because I'm going to be uploading this to our Patreon, hopefully. Unless the video don't work. Unless it doesn't work, because sometimes I can be a little technically challenged and uh, anyway, it makes me feel old. All right. Are you ready for today's story? Austin, this story is bonkers. Don't make it about like women or kids, please. Are you kidding me? That's literally what this is about. Oh. I mean, that's what they're all about. I know, but come on. Okay, well... Uh, we're going to be talking about the Pladel 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 family. Okay. Have you ever heard about this family? It's actually no. kind of recent. Never. This story. Well, the story begins in New York in 1995 when Stephen Pladel was 20 years old. At the time, he was chatting online with a 15-year-old girl named Alyssa Garcia, and that's already going to be a no-no. Why? He was he was 19 talking oh. to a 15-year-old girl. No, he was 20. Oh yeah, that's a a, that's girl. already a no-no. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I thought you were like talking about the podcast in general. <laughs> anyway, no, the podcast is a go-go. He was chatting with a 15-year-old girl named Alyssa Garcia. The two struck up a romantic relationship, and with Stephen's encouragement, Alyssa ran away from home so that she could go be with Stephen. And this was a huge move for Alyssa, considering she lived in San Antonio, Texas, and Stephen was all the way up in New York. Needless to say, she moved up there, and while she was isolated in a new city so far away from her family, it was pretty easy for Stephen to establish complete control over Alyssa. And remember, we're talking about a 15-year-old girl a who kid. is still, in many opinions, a child. Yes. And what, what Stephen did was illegal. He groomed this 15-year-old girl and completely took advantage of her. And when Alyssa was only 17, she became pregnant with Stephen's child. In January of 1998, Alyssa gave birth to the couple's daughter, and the couple named her Denise. But shortly after bringing her home, Alyssa was disturbed by Stephen's behavior towards baby Denise. He was abusive towards her, and he would allegedly pinch her when she would cry, and then that would leave bruises all over her tiny little body. What jackass. And he would even cruelly put the baby in a cooler, like an ice cooler, um, when she was crying to drown out the sound, the sound of her cries. And when Alyssa would fight to get her out of the cooler, he would hold her back and would only let her out when she was barely on the verge of suffocating. 
This oh is a little baby we're talking about. Now, at any point in this story, you might be wondering why it took Alyssa so long to leave herself. And she told the Daily Mail, quote, he threatened that if I was gone, he would blow his brains out with a gun, figure out a way to record it and make sure the video got to me, end quote. He was violent and erratic, and she walked on eggshells anytime he was around. He started manipulating and grooming her when she was only 17 years old, long before her brain ever had a chance to fully develop. She was taken states away from her home and her family, and she was isolated in a big city with nobody by her side except for Stephen. And one of the key components in a domestically abusive or violent relationship is total control and making the victim believe that they can't live without their abuser. Stephen couldn't hold down a job, which is super surprising, said nobody ever. And so Alyssa was considered the breadwinner of the household as she was a supervisor at T-Mobile. And it's safe to assume that Stephen probably controlled their finances as well. Because domestically violent and abusive relationships also tend to have really high highs and really low lows. The abuser may compromise with the victim and lure them into staying, love bombing them and showing them unconditional love to make up for the bad things that they've done. And sometimes it unfortunately gets worse for the victim if they do try to leave. And they may experience being stalked, blackmailed, and the unpredictable nature of the abuser makes it even harder to know what they're going to do next. At least when they stay with the abuser, they know what's going to happen next and can be prepared when that happens. But lastly, the dependence Alyssa likely felt for Stephen, even, even if it wasn't financial, is incredibly hard to shake. 75% of DV victims are killed when they attempt to leave their abusers or successfully leave them, which is something to keep in mind as this story continues. It's a pretty crazy statistic. Yeah. Thankfully, when Denise was eight months old, Alyssa decided that the only way to protect Denise would be to place her up for adoption. And it is impossible to empathize with such an incredibly difficult and most selfless choice. I cannot imagine how hard that was for Alyssa. But this truly was the best thing she could have done for her daughter, and I commend her for making that choice. Denise was adopted by Anthony and Kelly Fusco, and they changed her name to Katie Rose Fusco. At the time, Anthony was working as a corrections officer while Kelly was the secretary for the town of Dover, New York's land use department. Katie's childhood was spent in Dover, which is about 80 miles north of New York City. Katie absolutely loved animals and was a vegetarian. She was very talented artistically and was known for drawing these really cool, intricate comic strips. She maintained a blog, and in one of her blog posts, she wrote, A pen and something to draw on became a safe place for me. Ink became my weapon against rules and regulations. There wouldn't be a corner in a classroom or a park that didn't have a secret little character living on it. Ask an artist why creating is important to them, and they won't ever stop giving out reasons. To be short, for me, a life without art is no life at all. End quote. At the beginning of Katie's senior year in August of 2015, she became more curious about her biological family and decided to search for them. She found Alyssa and Stephen, who were now 37 and 42, respectively. And at this point, they had had two more daughters since Katie was adopted. Alyssa and Stephen were excited to have Katie back in their lives, and they arranged to meet up in Nightdale, North Carolina. In June of 2016... How old is she at this point? She's about 17 or 18. She's a senior in high school. And when did she go away from her parents? When she was eight months old. Gosh, so it sucks because she had this terrible eight months... 
-hmm. doesn't remember it, obviously, thinks, I'm going to seek them out, not knowing it was horrendous Mm -hmm. and they're terrible people. Yeah, and it gets worse. In June of 2016, Katie graduated from high school with plans to attend community college and then eventually transfer to State University of New York at Purchase to study at digital advertising. But after she met Alyssa and Steven, she changed her mind and instead moved to Henrico, Virginia to no. live with Alyssa and Steven and their two daughters. No way. So she was she was free and clear from them. Mm-hmm. She was living a good life, mm-hmm. good, bright future. Mm-hmm. Yes. Her adoptive parents, Anthony and Kelly, were really apprehensive but tried to be supportive because at this point, Katie is now technically an adult. Mm -hmm. And then in September of 2016, Stephen and Alyssa decided to separate. But instead of them moving out, either of them, they just started sleeping in separate bedrooms. But then Stephen started sleeping on Katie's bedroom floor every night. This is going to get weird. Alyssa also noticed some changes that Stephen was making to his appearance. He shaved his beard and he grew out his hair. He started wearing tight jeans and fitted shirts. When he first met Katie, he had this full goatee and dressed like a typical dad, despite the fact that he was far from a typical dad. But then after Katie came along, his looks changed drastically. You could tell he was trying to look younger. Alyssa felt like this change was really odd and paired with him sleeping on Katie's floor, she felt compelled to tell Katie the truth about why she was placed up for adoption. Alyssa told Katie about how Stephen treated her so poorly when she was a baby in hopes that it would warn Katie and maybe open her eyes a little bit, but it didn't work. And that same month, Stephen started coming on to Katie and the two started a romantic relationship. Like consensual? Mm-hmm. No way. With her dad? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. On November 5th of 2015, Katie posted to her Instagram, quote, forbidden love is most divine. And then there was a picture of two hands like about to touch with the words, only you, never mind, superimposed on the image. No way. This is the weirdest shit you've ever talked about almost. Yeah. That same month, Alyssa moved out and filed for divorce from Stephen, and Stephen told their two daughters to start referring to Katie as their stepmom rather than their sister. On January 26, 2016, Katie posted on Instagram a photo of a quote that read, quote, they warned me about all kinds of drugs, but they never warned me about you with the caption addicted hashtag love hashtag addiction. Then arguably the most disturbing post of all, Katie posted a photo of her neck with huge hickeys all over it and the caption bites with a little metal next to it and the hashtags design, kiss, and hickey. From her dad. From her dad. On May 23rd of 2017, Alyssa opened up one of her daughter's diaries and was disturbed to find out that Stephen and Katie we're expecting a baby oh together. Oh, my God. This just keeps getting crazier and stranger and weirder. Her daughter, who was 11 at the time, wrote in her diary that she was very confused because she was supposed to call Katie her stepmom, even though she was her sister. And she wrote, quote, now she is pregnant and my dad calls her baby also his baby. Did he make her pregnant? My dad even says she's my stepmom. WTF. He doesn't even want me to call her my sister anymore. 
Katie is my sister. She's probably his wife now, but in nature, she's only my sister. Does she see me as a daughter or a sister? End quote. Like, I cannot even imagine the confusion that this 11-year-old is going through witnessing all of this. I feel like this is one thing. Like, you know, everything in society, everybody's a touch me not, and we live in this big culture where, like, you can't say jack shit. I feel like I can definitively say this is effing weird and nobody can say shit to me. I don't care if they do. <laughs> <laughs> You've never cared if they do. <laughs> I know, but like really I don't care. Like extra don't care. You extra don't care if anyone comes at you for saying that a dad and, and a, daughter a daughter shouldn't be having and they're sex. Incestual. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And if you disagree with me, don't do not ever listen to this podcast again. <laughs> You know what I mean? That is crazy. It is. It's very disturbing. And like, let's just make this clear from the get. Obviously, this is not normal. And I do believe that Katie was manipulated and groomed into this. I don't believe that she consensually started having feelings for her dad. Her dad is an abuser. This is all the the fault all falls on Stephen. It's there's no fault on Katie. Pretty Despite terrible the fact judgment. That it's weird. She's still 18, 17 years old. She's old enough to know better. I'm I just mean, saying. No, I know. I know. And, you know, it's it's tough, too, because she had a seemingly normal childhood being raised by her adoptive parents, and she has likely no memory of what happened to her as a baby. Right. But, like, wh- how does this happen? Like, I think, I, I truly think, truly, that it's because he's a master manipulator. Like, who just falls for their dad like that? Like, he's got to be a master narcissist manipulator to poke and prod and know exactly how to get someone to do what he wants. He did it with Alyssa and now he's doing it with Katie. I agree with you, but there's also very bad judgment. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not great, but like what I, the last thing I'm going to do is put any blame on Katie. Like I'm sure she would have regrets, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know these people and you're more politically correct than me. It's weird. Anyways, let's continue. (laughs) Okay. Um, So beside that entry that her daughter made in her diary, There was a sketch of a baby with devil horns and the word demon below it, obviously indicating her disapproval of this new arrival. So Alyssa, after reading this diary entry, called Stephen and asked if this was true, and he confirmed that it was. So Alyssa called the police to report what she learned. Two days later, on May 31st, police opened an investigation and brought in Alyssa and Stephen's two younger daughters for an interview. The girls confirmed that they knew Katie was pregnant and that the baby was Stevens. So is it illegal? Yes. It's illegal to get knocked up by your dad? Yes. Got it. Good it's to know. incest. I didn't know if incest was illegal. It. I think it's illegal in every state. Good. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think it is. Anyway, Stephen told me to, or told the girls to keep it all a secret, though, because he was afraid that the girls would get made fun of at school if the word got out. So he knows this is weird and against all societal norms. And he's still just like, yeah, but you know. That's my thing. Care. Everybody knows it's weird. Everybody knows including it's weird. her. And him. Yes. Yeah. So on July 20th of 2017, two months after Alyssa and Steven's divorce was finalized, Katie and Steven got married. They had a very small ceremony in what appears to be a little public park next to a lake. And in attendance were Katie's adoptive father, Anthony, and his wife, as well as Stephen's mother, Grace. So now Katie's grandmother became her mother-in-law. 
and they're all just smiling in this picture as if this is freaking normal. And they were only able to get married because they lied on the marriage license application. So I don't know if you know this, because I'm pretty sure I was the one that went to go file our marriage license. But they actually ask you, didn't we go together? I I think we went together, yeah. They ask you if you're related, which seems like an obvious question. Like, who would... Who would get married if they knew they were related? But then who would answer that honestly if they knew they were related and (laughs) wanted to get married? I mean, of course they lied about it. Can you imagine like you're pregnant and somebody goes, oh my gosh, I haven't met the dad. Who's the dad? And you went, oh, you've met him. It's my dad. Wait, no, who's the baby daddy? Yeah, my baby daddy is my dad. Is my daddy. Oh my My baby daddy is my daddy. Literally. It's pretty disturbing. Jeez, nice. Okay. Yeah, it's it's bad. So that same summer, Katie and Stephen moved to Nightdale, North Carolina. And on September 1st, their son, Bennett Kieran Platel, was born. On November 29th of 2017, Henrico County police officers issued an arrest warrant for Stephen and Katie after Alyssa called them to tell them that they were committing incest and got married. In late January of 2018, Stephen and Katie were arrested and charged with incest and adultery. Stephen's attorney, Rick Friedman II, argued that his client's relationship with Katie was consensual and claimed that Stephen had been head over his heels in love with his daughter and that this had outweighed the issue of them being biologically related. Like, what really frustrates me and blows my mind isn't so much the relationship between Katie and Steven. Obviously that's fucked up and unsettling, but it's also all the people around who are just kind of watching this happen. And they're like, no, I think this is fine. This is yeah, probably they don't good. Object. This is probably good. You know what a wedding when they say, does anyone object? Yeah. I object. Yeah. You would, think. you should all be saying that. Right. And like, I don't know. I I've seen interviews where, Anthony and his wife have said or had said in the past, I guess, that they they kind of felt like they had to go along with it just to keep Katie in their lives. Like they didn't feel like they had control over her. Right. And they didn't want to lose her. So they're just kind of like going along with it. But I just I can't imagine that. Like, why isn't anyone stepping up and saying, you guys, this is gross. Stop. Mm -hmm. And why aren't they listening? I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. Um, so he argued that, you know, this is all normal and the couple was released on bond, but ordered to have no contact with each other. So Katie moved back to New York to stay with her adoptive parents. Banging your dad isn't something that's like, isn't something that's like, you know, politically, like no part of it is acceptable. Period. There under no circumstance is it ever acceptable or normal. Yeah. Interesting. None. So anyway, Katie moved back with her adoptive parents and then Steve's, uh, Steve moved in with his mom, Grace, or, or no, I'm sorry. Steve's mom, Grace was able to get custody of the baby Bennett. So, uh, once word got out of their arrests, a petition was started on change.org. And I know what you're thinking. People are probably like petitioning to help Katie out of this bizarre and fucked up situation, right? Wrong. So, so wrong, Austin. The petition stated, quote, the daughter and common law wife of Stephen Platel, Katie Platel, was arrested for the bogus crime of adult consensual incest. This is 
in breach of both the UN Charter of Human Rights, to which the U.S. is a signatory, and the U.S. Constitution. Officials involved in her detention are committing a crime against humanity. They discriminated against the couple, kidnapped them, took their baby child from them, separated them, terrified them with the threat of a long jail sentence and criminal record, held them against their will without a good reason since they are a risk to nobody, demanded massive financial burden, a million-dollar bail, extortionate amount, threatened to take them across state boundaries, extradition to Virginia, and threatened to jail them for many years. And all for what? If they were a gay couple, all of Hollywood would have shut down in protest. Politicians would be crying on TV, pleading for justice and compassion and kindness. Love is love. People can't help who they fall in love with. Equality, an end to discrimination based on one's sexuality. Um, this makes me want to bang my head against a wall. The petition garnered 36 signatures, which honestly is... I thought you were going to say 36,000. No. Oh, my God. I would, 36 is laughable. I would go jump off a cliff if there was 36,000 signatures supporting an incestuous relationship. But even 36 signatures is 36 too many. Comments literally said, they're adults. This was a case of conscientious, conscientious adults entering into a mature relationship. What's the harm? And then another commenter wrote, loving consensual relationships among adults should not be criminalized. This is weird. Um, I feel like people like that shouldn't have the right to vote. Anyway, a few months passed, and in April, something had switched in Katie, and she called Stephen to break things off. She told him she no longer wanted to be with him. She could not do this. Distraught, Stephen went to his mom Grace's house to pick up their son, Bennett. Stephen was pretty used to being in complete control in his relationships. He completely controlled Alyssa, and she didn't feel like she could safely leave until he had his sights set on someone else. And who would be more easy to control in a relationship than your own biological daughter? But now he had nobody and he snapped. On April 11th, he picked up Bennett from Grace's house and took him with him back to his house, where he then suffocated baby Bennett and placed his dead body in a closet. Then he drove through the night to New York to Katie's adoptive parents' house he sat outside their house in a minivan and waited for them to leave because he knew that Katie and Anthony visited Anthony's mom on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So he waited for them to leave, and when they did, he followed them as they drove to New Milford, Connecticut. And when they came to a stop at a stop sign, Stephen got out of his car, walked up to Anthony's, and shot Anthony and Katie, killing both of them with an arrow assault-type rifle, similar to an AR-15. Then he got back into his van. He called his mom, telling her that he had killed baby Bennett that the day before and that he had just shot Katie and Anthony. He told her not to go to his house, and then he parked his car on the side of the road and shot himself. So earlier I read to you this statistic. About 75% of DV victims are killed when they attempt to leave their abusers or they successfully leave them. And this is exactly why Alyssa felt like she could never leave. And this is exactly why many victims of abuse feel like they can never leave. According to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, 72% of all murder-suicides involve an intimate partner, and 94% of the victims of these murder-suicides are female. 
Now, I'll admit in this podcast's infancy, I had a hard time understanding why people stay in abusive relationships, especially when they involve children. And I've probably made some ignorant comments in the past about those those episodes or those stories. But how blessed am I to not be able to understand that because I've never been through it myself. And based on facts and statistics, I realize that it's not for me to understand why someone doesn't leave an abusive situation. It's only for me to not judge. And I hope you'll adopt that same sentiment when it comes to why Alyssa didn't leave and why Katie didn't leave. But apparently there is a theory or a concept called genetic sexual attraction or GSA. And there is a debate on whether or not people recognize this as a real thing or a real diagnosis, if you will. GSA most frequently occurs when a person has been separated from a biological family member, be it mother, father, brother, or sister, from a very young age, and upon meeting them again, becomes sexually attracted to them. This is like literally the case here. And one person took to Reddit to describe their experience with GSA, and it's written from the perspective that Katie likely was in. So I'm going to read to you what she wrote, because obviously we don't have Katie's um, perspective here. But this is what somebody in a similar situation wrote on Reddit. Yes. I hope they were under a username that nobody knows who they are. Yeah, it was anonymous. (laughs) I'm just saying. Yeah. So she writes, when I first saw his photos and read what he had to say, I put the feelings off as just being mere excitement. He's a very handsome person and extremely well-spoken. We hit it off immediately. Even without any contact or knowledge of each other for two decades, we had nearly identical senses of humor, similar interests, taste in music, I could go on and on. We would stay up all night talking on the phone or chatting on IM. I was living with my boyfriend at the time, and my biological father had been married for almost 20 years at this point. My boyfriend became very jealous even early on, and so did his wife, as we were just pouring tons of attention into each other. We met, and that only made things more intense. We spent the entire first visit attached at the hip. I felt happier than I had in my entire life, and he told me how I, how I had opened a part of his heart that he never knew existed. He does not have any other children. By the second visit, after a month or so after the first, things took a turn and got out of control. It is extremely nerve-wracking to talk about this, but he and I were talking at night in the dark, and I don't know what I was thinking, but as we were talking, I just instinctively leaned over and kissed him. And I didn't stop, and it didn't stop at just kissing. At that point, we put ourselves into a very complicated and difficult situation that would unfold over many years. I moved closer to him, and we continued this secret relationship over the course of several years, but it was extremely hard. I was basically the other woman in his life at this time. We had to pretend to those around us that nothing was going on, although a lot of people suspected as we didn't act in a typical father-daughter fashion. We spent as much time as we could together. We were very affectionate with each other. And there was also plenty of stress coming from his family and from his wife. The two of them fought all the time about me. His wife wanted him to have nothing to do with me. And I think deep down she knew what was going on, but it was presented to his family as though I was just a bad person and making his life stressful. After some years, he and his wife eventually divorced. He moved in with me. And I felt terrible for what happened to their marriage. But at the same time, I wanted her out of the picture because I was in love with him in a way that I had never felt and that I don't believe I will ever feel again. I wanted this picture-perfect life that I felt we had both waited for for years. Somehow, we survived the entire ordeal. We still live together. 
When we meet new people now, we portray each other as boyfriend and girlfriend. Sometimes I forget that we are related because a lot of time has passed since the above events happened. We both have good jobs. We both are very committed to each other. And in a weird way, we are closer than we ever were even at the beginning. We love each other very intensely, and I can't imagine ever being with anyone else. After she explained the story, she added that they do not intend to have children for what I hope are very obvious reasons, but that if she ever did become pregnant by accident, they would terminate the pregnancy. Well, I just want to say start to finish, I cannot relate to that person at all. Not even. And I try my best to always have a super open mind, put myself in people's shoes, empathize, even if it's not things I agree with. Cannot relate, will never relate, don't want to relate. That's crazy. It's so disturbing. It's so irresponsible, especially on the father's part. I put way more emphasis of blame and culpability on the father, the man involved, because he's so much older in both situations. He's older, more experienced, very manipulative, and he's preying on young girls who aren't fully matured yet and have these impressionable, naive minds um, I do agree with you, but you just cannot take it. You can't tell me that these 18, 17, 19-year-old girls aren't aware also. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, no, I know. I think that on some level there is a nagging like chip on their shoulder basically saying, like, this is wrong. You know it's wrong. You know people are going to talk about it. But there's something that's outweighing the, that voice overshadowing that voice that's telling them to go along with it. But I just think uh, like, and I know you don't mean it like this, but the way you're saying it, like it's almost like you're put, it's like, oh, this wouldn't happen if the man wasn't the predator. No, it's people who, this is not. No, I'm saying it's the age. It's the experience. Yeah. Because trust me, there are other stories I've been coming across, especially lately of female predators, these teachers preying on young boys in their school. Same deal. I don't blame the the young boy. I blame the older female teacher who knows better and is preying on young vulnerable. That adds more more uh, clarity. Like yeah, substance. it's it's not just men versus women, boy yeah. versus girl. It's yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's a wild episode. Super like I putting her in a cooler when she was younger, and then like suffocating baby Bennett. Like mm-hmm. that stuff is just sickening to hear. It really is. And I try to like compartmentalize and not picture what that would be like because, you know, we have kids too. And yeah. I think any human can just agree that it's disturbing to mm-hmm. talk about stuff like that and try to work through it. But um, yeah. yeah, it's the whole thing is just so messed up. I mean, at every turn, it got worse and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, I mean, it's really unfortunate. Thankfully, Alyssa is still alive and her two daughters are still alive. But this is a really sad and unfortunate case for a lot of people involved. And I'm talking about Stephen's mom, Alyssa and her kids. I'm talking about Anthony's family and his wife, who's now left without Anthony, too. I mean, it's it's a whole a whole lot of people were affected by this. So indeed. Yeah. Mama. Mystery out. Bye. Before we actually go, I just want to say, and I know what all these mean, but tell me it's not a little weird that I'm looking around in Kelly's office and she has notes that say DMV 23 and me, no blood splatter. Dun, dun, dun.